Welcome to Darkly Lit, where nothing in these woods could be more dreadful, more terrifying than the selfish cruelty of ordinary people. I am your host, Kayla King. I'm joined by my other two co-hosts. We have Sade. Trick or treat. And David. The bitter and the sweet. <laughs> and happy Halloween, everybody. Yeah. Well, wait. It's Friday the 13th. Happy Friday the 13th. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween, Friday the 13th. Yes. Yeah. And for Halloween this year, we decided to read All Hallows by Christopher Golden. And this was David's choice. This is my second one in a row. That doesn't usually happen, but uh, I suppose I should talk about what this is about, shouldn't I? Yes, you get to give the description again. All right, then. Well, I'm, I feel better prepared for this one, uh, despite the fact that this is a tricky one, because right off the bat, this is the story of a number of people and families who all live on the same cul-de-sac in Massachusetts. It's Halloween night, 1984, and the residents of Parmenter Road are getting ready for Halloween. And while there's a lot of different characters in this story, the main people we focus on are, there's three sort of different family groups. There's the Barbosas, there's Vanessa Montez, and there's the Sweeney's. Now, the Barbosas are a family of four. You've got Tony, Alice, Chloe, and Rick. Tony and Chloe are very close when it comes to Halloween and they're setting up their backyard like they have been for many years for with the acre like a acre and a half or maybe just an acre of woods that they own to be a haunted forest that they get people to walk through. They dress it all up. They're very excited to do it this year, but little hints in the background says that uh, because they have to sell their house and because Tony and Alice's marriage is kind of on the rocks that this will be the last time it gets done and they want to make it special. Meanwhile, Rick is going to be going through his last bout of trick-or-treating. So he's going to, and he sees the writing on the wall. So he goes with his best friend, Billy, to go out trick-or-treating. You've got Vanessa, who is dressed up as Susie Sue and is our uh, goth punk lesbian, although very closeted lesbian because it's 1984. She's also, she, she sees how people regard her because of her ethnicity. She already feels like a bit of an outcast. Luckily, she has her best friend, Steve who is her confidant and friend. That's going to shift around a little bit later. But yes, they're going to do one last little bit together before she goes off to college. And lastly, we have the Sweeney family, which is a fairly big family. Uh, largely, it's from Barb's perspective, but we do get the other kids who are Julia, the eldest, uh, Brian, the middle, and Charlie, the youngest. There's also their deadbeat asshole douchebag father, Donnie, who is a philanderer and a drunk. The drama from that story is we see how Barb finally comes to terms with the fact that he is a cheating bastard and just sleeps around and doesn't do anything. And that all comes to a head as Halloween comes in. So we already have a lot of stuff coming apart at the seams, little dramas going on in the neighborhood. So as if that weren't enough, all the drama between these families, interpersonal and or on the outside with each other in this gossipy little neighborhood. There's also the weird group of trick-or-treaters that shows up in pale Halloween costumes, and they're all acting very strange and 
They start kind of insinuating themselves and begging the various characters for help. They need help escaping the cunning man who's some sort of creature or person or thing that is preying on trick-or-treaters. Well, well, they need to be safe until midnight, some of the things that they claim. And of course, various circumstances pop up involving the weird uh, childless couple living at the end of the road who do end up being as horrible as everybody realizes. But as the night wears on, more secrets get revealed. More nonsense occurs. Some people fall in love. Some people realize their feelings. Some relationships get torn apart, mostly by Donnie being an asshole. Uh, and people die. That's one crazy thing that I actually like about this, is people die. At the end, there's a very there's a, a twist reveal. I'll go ahead and keep it to this, because while the juicy parts are generally the stuff with the family, the important bit is that all the kids end up being the monsters themselves. They're not there to hide from the cunning man. They're trying to keep the cunning man from getting to people they want to abduct as victims for this primordial witch called Carmen who lives in a the Celtic netherworld of Dubnos and which is accessed through a portal in a blackthorn tree that shows up in the woods. And during the climax, uh, heads roll, people get slaughtered. At the very end, there's a very kind of bittersweet mood as the night's impact wears on all of these people. They survived, but... Things are never going to be the same. Who survived? How did they survive? Who didn't? I don't feel like talking about it in the summary, so instead we're going to talk about it in the episode. But that's... <laughs> that's all Hallows. And man, I quite liked this one. I liked this one quite a bit. I really wanted to read something that had a really good Halloween vibe to it and a certain kind of Halloween vibe to it. And I got it with this one. And uh, I can get more into why as we go. But I just wanted to say right off the bat that I'm very, very happy with this particular book. Not that it I don't think it's perfect. I mean, nothing we read is necessarily perfect, but this is very good for me. And I had a great time with it. This had the Halloween vibe that I wanted for the Halloween moon. And I'm grateful I was able to get it with this book. I, I'm with you. I really did enjoy this book. I think if I would have sped read it, I wouldn't have enjoyed it as much. I, I actually was able to get the audiobook and ebook ahead of time and be able to take my time reading it. I think I read it over the course of like three or four weeks. Mm -hmm, and too. I'm glad I did that because it was a really good buildup for me. Yeah. And the twist of the kids being evil wasn't much of a twist for me because it's like mm. eh, it was hinted well enough. The one thing that really hit and I'm like, oh, okay, all bets are off. This is great is when a kid dies and a kid that we have followed throughout the whole Time. A kid who's had whole chapters from his perspective. Yeah. That was the point I was like, holy shit. I can't believe that happened. What did you think, Said? I made the mistake of doing the complete opposite of you, where uh, it was actually right after we'd finished recording for the last episode. So it's been a while since I finished this book. I had the audiobook checked out through Libby. And I had, I think, three or four days before I had to return it. And I knew that I wasn't going to be able to get a, get access to a copy again, audiobook or ebook uh, before recording. So I was like, cool, I'm going to just binge uh, listen to this over the weekend. So I had to rush through it. And I think I wasn't able to give this book the time it deserved because of that. Because for me, it now it's more like a fever dream. <laughs> it's how I recall <laughs> this book. And I definitely enjoyed it more than our last one. I definitely loved the Halloween vibe that it had. 
definitely was like, okay, yeah, we're Halloween mode. I've, you know, I've got my pumpkin lantern set up above me now. So it's got me in the mood for, for Halloween for sure. And the characters, you know, for me, characters are always like the biggest thing. I enjoyed a lot of the cast more, but I also, I don't know, I don't think, maybe just because I just didn't give the time it deserved. I enjoyed it. It was fun. But I don't see myself ever wanting to read it again or recommending it. It was it was a good time, but that was kind of all it was. Okay, I, I understand that. And uh, yeah, I think it's kind of the opposite. I would recommend this. I would recommend it to specific people. I don't think everybody would enjoy this, but I had a really good time with it to the point where I do think I will read this again in the future. Mm-hmm. It helped that midway through reading it, it hit me that if the author ha- did not have Halloween by Susie and the Banshees in his head when he wrote this... I would be shocked considering Vanessa dresses as Susie Sue for Halloween and this song is like perfect. So I started listening to it and now it's stuck in my head and it's all I can think about related to this book. And like if there was a movie version of this, this would be the licensed music I'd want associated with this movie. <laughs> yeah, I think this is one of those books because um, I remember there was a quote where it says some books need to be devoured some books need to be chewed slowly that I can't remember specifically where that came from but I remember Mm -hmm. and this is one of those books that needs to be chewed slowly because there are so many characters because so much happens and I think being able to give it that time it deserves is probably the best way to enjoy it because I think a, a good chunk of the characters are likable more and very enjoyable to read there are a couple I was kind of meh about. Well, well, why don't we talk about the characters? This is such a... Most novels we read are exceptionally character-driven. Yes. And usually the kid's perspective is kind of narrow. This is... We are jumping perspectives every single chapter. Mm-hmm. We're switching to a different character. And they're all existing, cross uh, crossing paths in the same universe. And we're getting some of the same events or the, the tail end of certain events then picked up by other characters later on. And it's all taking place over the course of one Halloween from the day all the way up until, uh, you know, the night, and then in the epilogue, kind of a couple days after, into November. And what I find so fascinating about this is the fact that it jumps around a lot. So I think it is important that we kind of break down and talk about some of these characters and how we feel about them. And like I said, I narrowed it down to mainly the Sweeney's, the Barbosa's, and Vanessa Montez as kind of our chief bullet point characters in this story. Mm -hmm. But we also get... A couple of odd ones out. We get a chapter from Billy's perspective. We get a couple chapters from um, Zach and Ruth Burgess, who are our other kind of antagonists in this story. I was a bit surprised when we first saw, I think it was Zach's perspective we uh-huh. read the first. Because mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I didn't, okay, I guess we're getting his point of view. Damn. And that kind of made me nervous because anytime it's from a supposed villain's point of view, I'm like, mm. in this case... It made sense and it worked. And luckily, I think there's only like one or two chapters that Zack has. Yeah. He, before he dies. He is, um, is he the first character that gets properly killed off? Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's killed by the cunning man. And his death is important because the way I'm understanding what happened is, and you piece it together later, the reason he's killed is partly because he was in pursuit of one of the uh, the witch children. I mean, it was all three of the children, but the one one of the witch children was with them. I think that was Arnold. Uh, or was that Leonard. no? That was Leonard. Leonard. Always Leonard. <laughs> there was always Leonard. Okay. Uh, one thing I want to address, since we're talking about Zach and Ruth, is and you pointed this out. I thought this was neat. There's that neighborhood trope in a lot of these stories about oh, there's the weird house at the end of the street that no one wants to go to. This is not a haunted house in this one. This is like these people might be perverts. 
Yeah. There's like weird sex perverts and there's rumors that they've done things with kids. And one thing I appreciate about this book and the reason I wouldn't say there's like a trigger warning or a content warning with this one is like it's all implied. It's never explicitly said from Zach and or Ruth's perspective exactly what they do. But everything is like woven in there about you know that they are abducting children and doing awful things and it's never explicitly said what they do. But when you get their perspectives, you see them kind of acknowledging that that is something. And I appreciate that they're not explicit about it. Same. Even with us. But, but And that could be done in a bad way. But I think the writing handles it in such a way that it's like the implications are awful, but it's not explicitly spelled out. And that helps maybe kind of blunt it a little bit so you don't have to picture what they did. You know, or you can, you can fill in the blanks if you want to, or mute it if you want to. And that I appreciate. If it was written from the point of view of the children or even the cunning man, yes, there is a point where it's from the point of view of Donnie as the cunning man or stuck in the cunning man's head, but that's different. If it would have done that, I'd be like, mm, but. You also get one chapter that's Sarah Jane. That's right. There's only one little chapter and it's from Sarah Jane's perspective. I forgot about that. But I think it only switches to perspectives when it needs to. And with her, it was helping to further, you know, cement the idea for you as the reader that, oh, the real villains are the children themselves. And that already got revealed ahead of time. And and it's not like the most satisfying twist or anything. You could kind of see it coming. Yeah. But I still, it wasn't like dissatisfying to me. Like, even though I saw it, it's like, okay, well, this leans into the the primal Halloween thing that I'm looking for, which is this idea of like the the sinister side of Halloween, the the the, the roots of Halloween and like old folklore and fear and harvest and I don't know, just like the, a lot of these ideas where there's like this unknowable, dark, primordial, supernatural part to the whole thing. No, the the one part that actually got me and surprised me the most was Ricky's death. And there was that part of my brain that I thought, is he going to be brought back to life? I hope he doesn't get brought back to life. Because it was hinted he was turned into a zombie. But I'm glad he died. Or that's how to say. But if he would have came back to life, it would have undermined his death. Yeah. And there are moments from like Tony's perspective and Alice's perspective where they are just shattered by this. Yeah. By the knowledge of this. And they, they don't even have time to properly acknowledge it because they also have to save Chloe. Yes. So that's why I'm glad that he remained dead and it is a very bittersweet yeah. thing that happens. But it did shock me because I thought, okay, we got a 13-year-old kid. We're following this boys. We know bad things are going to happen. But the mm. fact that his death just, bam, happens. It's yeah. like, what the fuck? Uh-huh. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's what got me. Mm-hmm. Another thing I also appreciated too is it's set in 1984 and I knew it was going to be set in the 80s and I in the description it's like it's Stranger Things meets I forget what the other and I thought oh it's going to be a lot of needle drops it's going to be very but I, I was I was like okay I, and I prepared for that going in it's not like that at all. No, it manages to be a story set in the 80s, not explicitly about the 80s. Yes. The 80s is just part of the backdrop of the story. I mean, the author mentions in the acknowledgments that he was 17 in 1984, and he's very much channeling a lot of his experience or his memories of that of that last Halloween for him into this. And you can kind of tell. There, there's little references to things here and there, but this could, with a little tweaking, this could this could be a contemporary story. But there are certain things about it that the, the way that people behave in a way that is firmly couched in like the perspective of the 80s. Not, not the pop culture. Again, not the needle drops. It's like the way people are. The fact that um, for Vanessa, who is in the closet 
through the story, and for Julia, too, actually. I didn't mention the summary, but yeah, it gets revealed that Julia's had a crush on Vanessa for a while, Vanessa's had a crush on Julia for a while, and during this Halloween, after the these horrible things happened to both of them, they finally just kind of put it aside, and they, they admit they have feelings for each other. If it were set in more modern, it wouldn't be as dangerous. Not saying it's not dangerous now for in some places, but in the 80s, to be out as queer in any capacity is, is a, there's a lot more risk involved, mm-hmm. social and, you know, physical even. I think having it in the, the moral, quote unquote, moral, like Reagan era <laughs> 80s is very part of it. And not to mention the way that people gossip and the way that the neighborhood feels is it feels like, like this manages to be 80s without being pandering in a way that Stranger Things has kind of become, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Stranger Things is like a love letter to 80s pop culture and references from things that we liked about the 80s. This feels like more grounded in what people looking back on the 80s might see, and even the problematic parts of it. I think you still get a little bit of that with Barbara as well. Mm-hmm. And she was like the first character that kind of gripped me for a little bit, and the first one that pissed me off too. Yeah. And that she, you know, that whole like being the good housewife and maintaining that that image for the neighbors, I mean, that as a, like a stronger mindset is. I don't know if it's specifically 80s, but like, I feel like we have less of that now. Yeah. I mean, I think, is this one of those situations where you would al- almost, like, say, cringe as this is, trad wife? Mm, <laughs> yeah, I'm being unfair. But no, with Barb, the tragedy there definitely comes from how she wants to keep the family together in this, and I keep a certain vision there. And here's Donnie kind of fucking the whole thing up. And that, again, feels like something that could be in any setting, but couched in the 80s does give it that extra kind of slap in the face, you know? It's also probably part of the small town life, too, because mm-hmm. I have family that live in small town. I have seen this firsthand from, like, distant family members who gossip like this. Oh, honey, I heard. Oh, it's so tragic. I can't believe this happened. And it's fake as all get out. Like that neighbor who calls her. Yeah. That is so gross. Yeah. At 11 o'clock at night, too. Like, yeah, what the fuck? That was, that was something else. Actually, I'm curious, at what point did the, the pissing off hit you with, with barbs? I was 100% on her side, even though, you know, it's a two-way thing. Like, she's responsible for just putting up with it for as long as she did. But, like, it was the moment where she, like, gives Donnie that ultimatum, and he's like, okay, peace out. And she's like, wait, what? I was like, oh, no, bitch, you don't take that back. Like, you don't give someone that kind of ultimatum and not be prepared mm-hmm. for them not doing, you know, the thing that you want. So I was very, like, good for you. you finally putting your foot down. Down, that is it's enough but then she's like no i don't want you to go and i'm like oh fuck you you fucking deserve what you get uh, anyway, sorry I, I, i'm very unsympathetic no i get that I, I think also there's been hints that she's not exactly 100 percent faithful as well didn't it say like he was engaged or she was engaged when they got married i or think s- so and not only that there was like that hint uh her son's name's brian correct yeah that oh we told him that he was from the black irish part of the family and i'm like <laughs> i don't think that's a thing but that sounds like she had an affair <laughs> to explain why her kid has dark hair while her his siblings have like l- red and blonde hair 
there's a lot going on in that. I get you when it comes to how you feel, because I was like, no, come on, don't do this. But it just goes to show that she's she's a deeply flawed character in her own right. She can't quite let go, because mm-hmm. she thought, oh, it's going to go this way, and he's immediately going to be better. When it doesn't, she kind of shuts down and goes into fight or flight. She completely loses all of her, like, zeal. Yeah. Which is disappointing. But you're right, that does make her really flawed, and that's... I do feel like all of the characters were really great on their own. Like, everyone had, like, some good depth, some good, like... Like, they felt like a legit person. Yeah. But I, I think, for me, one of the places where I was like, mm, like, I didn't, like, love the book as much as you guys did is in that, like, I don't feel any single character got enough attention. I think that's fair. Mm-hmm. Like, it was like, here's here's this really great character. They're gonna do some things. Now let's move on to another character. Where I was like, wait, no, but, like, I haven't seen this character get enough growth yet. And, like, we do come back to a couple here and there. But it's, like, like with Barbara, she had she faltered a little bit in that Donnie, she didn't want Donnie to leave. Um, but she's like, okay, going to keep my shit together for my kids, getting through the night. Okay, what's the stuff coming up? I feel like she got the easy way out with, like, what happens to Donnie later on. Well, she she didn't even get to be there for the climax, you know, when everybody's at the tree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pretty much everybody else got to be there. Uh, she didn't. And I thought it was going to be, like, members of our, like, main three kind of in the same place. I think Julia kind of filled that in for us. Mm. We didn't get her perspective until a little bit later in the book. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think I, I can agree with you there. I think all these characters are, are fun. I enjoy being near them and there's potential there. Like the the thing I, I kind of enjoy but makes the ending bittersweet is like, you know, there's going to be a lot going on after this book and we're never going to get to see that. But it's stuff I really want to see because while the supernatural element of the story is fun the thing that is good the best in the book uh for me is the drama the little interpersonal dramas between these characters and seeing them yeah it's like oh my god you know what this is what this is grabbing a handful of fun-sized character candies instead of getting the full bar oh oh my god it totally is that that is that was good david that was very thank you i mean no because like I, i i just started thinking of vanessa and what's her friend's name steve steve yeah that moment when you realize that steve outed her to her father I like I needed that conversation between them and we didn't get that at all because supernatural stuff. Yeah. And I was like, no, you've robbed us of that character growth. Give me character growth. Does that add to the tragedy, though, then because the, we they never get to have that conversation? I want it. We don't get it because Steve and I, I this hit me too. Steve dies. Yeah. 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 He dies pretty ungloriously, too. He just gets his neck broken. I think it adds to the bittersweetness of it for me because after such a terrible night, it doesn't end happily. No. It's going to end in like some sort of uncomfortable way for everybody. The characters get lack of closure too. Yeah. We don't get closure. They don't get closure. There's something about that I kind of appreciate. Mm-hmm. Character development wise, yeah, it would have been nice to see Steve and Vanessa reconcile. It would have been nice to see maybe them get better closure with Ricky's death. Something of that nature. But I think that lends to the whole bittersweetness of it. They have come from this changed and now they're left to reconcile with how do we move on from here? Yeah. Because even though Vanessa may now have started a relationship with Julia, she now has to reconcile with the fact her best friend died and they never had a chance to talk out. And also her, she got outed to her best friend's parents and both of them fucking hate her. Yeah. Now that their son is dead and she hates her, his dad is at least willing to be like, if anyone want to talk to me, it can't be his dad. It has to be his mom. That's left hanging. 
with, with Barbara, yes, Donnie has died and it seems like she got out of that. But you have her son who says, dad saved us. And they're like, no, it wasn't dad. And he's like, yes, it was dad. And let's not forget, Charlie was listed as Barbara's favorite. She fully admitted that because he looked a lot like her. Mm-hmm. There's that little selfish bit at the beginning where she gets, she could have gotten something that everybody loved, but she specifically got Chinese food because she knows Charlie liked it. Exactly. So there's a little bit of favoritism, just a smidge. So Charlie's probably going to turn more against her because his last memories with his mom and his dad were her fighting him. And then his last memory of his dad is him saving him. So Even if it was a monster possessing the corpse of his yeah. father. So there is going to be that kind of uncomfortableness after that. And their relationship probably dwindled as a result of that. And then, of course, we got the Barbosas, what's left of them. Yeah. It, Donnie Sweeney ruined Halloween for them, the haunted woods for them forever. But the final nail was definitely, uh, yeah, stuff from the Celtic underworld arising to try and kidnap oh. one of the family and kill one of the other ones and make him into a zombie. So and- Halloween being ruined is one thing. But now this thing that Chloe and to- Tony had is definitely buried and we're left with grief is kind of keeping alice and tony together for now but you know it's still gonna come apart yeah there's no closure there either they don't talk about this they don't talk about the relationship they don't talk about the fact that alice slept with donnie and how that makes tony feel like there's no conversations about it they're still locked up and the grief is briefly stringing them together but you know that that's potentially going to come apart again mm-hmm. and they're 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 left broken they're left with this fraying connection that is eventually going to unravel they can all kind of see it coming and yet they carry on anyway compared to how everything ended in a kind of saccharine fashion in theme music our, our last book i needed this kind of ending i'll be honest i needed this kind of ending it reminds me in a way of also we don't get entire closure in um our share of night either and I was really, I was very satisfied with that ending. Yes. Okay. Sometimes you don't get like the closure that you want and I'm okay with that. I, you know, I love a tragic ending, but I think with this, it was just, there were so many points of just like nobody getting closure. Yeah. Real life. You're almost never going to get the closure that you want. But if I'm sitting down to read a book, then I'm expecting some bit of narrative closure. <laughs> that's fair. I don't know. Maybe that's where it bugged me a little bit. But I don't know. Like, even with the whole reveal of like, oh, the children, the trick-or-treater children are actually the bad monsters. And they're working for this witch named Carmen. Okay, obviously early on, you're like, oh, okay, it's really the children. And you're like, maybe the cunning man is still like some other monster that they have to deal with. But if it's like going after the children, okay, maybe... Maybe the cunning monster is somewhat good. So like that came to me pretty quickly early on. And then I think I was just anticipating more from the ending overall. Or if like when it's like you learn of the witch Carmen, I thought maybe she might make an appearance and fight head on with the cunning man. But I I didn't get any of that. So it's just like. I will admit that is also something I'm kind of disappointed in. The witch Carmen gets talked about quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Or not. Or she pops up. And I was hoping she would come out of the tree or we'd at least get to see her right well because like the kids like they're like terrified of her like i have to do this because i know i have to appease carmen and i'm like okay well i want to i want more of this witch like why is she so scary i think that would have been more satisfying i do agree with that i think mm-hmm. if carmen would have came out and then there was a fight between her and the cunning man while they're just trying to escape and be like fuck this mm-hmm. that would have been nice 
And I understand that, again, I think some of the parts that left me wanting, I'm actually satisfied with the wanting. It's like, this is me sitting there at a movie theater in the 80s going, okay, when's the sequel? You know, (laughs) that's going to fill in all these gaps. Only one of the evil trick-or-treaters survived. Because he just went, I'll deal with Carmen's wrath, and then he steps through the portal. Wouldn't it have been nice in the epilogue if we had briefly gotten something from his perspective, like we got from Sarah Jane's, and through his eyes we get to see Carmen? Ooh. That would have been cool. That, yeah, that would have been like that post credit scene that sets up the oh, sequel. Yeah, I think Carmen should have made an appearance. And there's still a lot of even closure we don't get there, too. Why this neighborhood? Why this neighborhood on this Halloween? Yeah, I had that exact same thought. Why does the Brogan come there? Because presumably, is the Blackthorn tree only here? Does it randomly pop up in different places? We don't know anything about the supernatural rules apart from a couple of things. In a way, when it comes to really mystical stuff like this... Sometimes I like to know the rules of how it works, and sometimes I like to know just enough, and sometimes I want to know all the rules. This is in that nebulous space where I'd like to know a little bit more about the workings of the magic, but not too much, because magic should be kind of nebulous. In my opinion, magic should be kind of nebulous, kind of bizarre, but at least have you give a basic understanding of like, okay, I kind of understand it like this. But we don't know if like, how long has Carmen been doing this? How how many other children does she have in her thrall, and how many can she release into the world, maybe in other parts, on All Hallows' Eve. Again, we don't get those answers either. I actually decided to look up, because it doesn't say specifically this is from Celtic lore. I actually had to look up Dubnos and uh, Carvin and all that. Yes, it does come from Celtic lore. Brogan is just a name. I didn't find anything about the Brogan. I have to give you credit, because you know you, you you were the one who looked it up. So I yeah. want to make sure, like when we were talking about it and, and you you said it to me, I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. That D- we're, D- That's what I like, is Dubnos, we're tying it back to the roots of Halloween. Yeah, Dubnos is the underworld in Celtic lore. Or Samhain, let's be fair, oh. Samhain. <laughs> Carmen is actually a figure. She's a witch figure, but she has a whole different lore that's... I can't remember the specifics, but I don't think she's that connected to Dubnos from what Mm. I read. But again, I did a quick cursory search just to be like, Dubnos is too specific of a name for it to not come from something. So I I had to look that up. Man, I feel like we're all over the place again, but that's kind of... We are a little bit. Maybe maybe questions would help us kind of focus in on something. That would help. I think that's good. I think... Oh, can I just say, but going going back, because we all talked about the Halloween feel of Mm -hmm. this book, especially some of the earlier chapters made me feel so freaking cozy. Like, this really amped up my why I love October, why I love fall, and why I love the the anticipation of Halloween. Mm -hmm. Like, this really nailed for me nostalgia for a time when, you know, you're a kid and you're waiting for Halloween night to hit. I really enjoyed that. I also appreciate it. It touched on all the different activities that occur during Halloween. For example, the partying during Halloween, a haunt on Halloween, trick-or-treating during Halloween, watching horror movies. Like, it does. Mm-hmm. This really feels like Halloween. This this is dripping with Halloween, and it was supposed to. And this is everything I wanted when I saw this book, and I was like, I want to read this on the show next. So We got our first comments and questions from uh, Dan. Thank you, Dan. Great fall slash Halloween feel. An interesting spiderweb of domestic suburban drama and ickiness. This book felt a little overprepared and undercooked to me. A lot of it came across like Golden decided what ingredients he wanted in the book, then stuck rigidly to it regardless of whether it was working or not. There are a few too many characters in it for me, and it felt a little overlong for what it ended up being. 
Not to say that every book has to say something profound or even definitive, but this all felt a little flat to me. I didn't end feeling very strongly about any of the characters here, despite how likable or despicable they were. I think that's kind of our general sentiments, although I think I still enjoyed the book maybe more than a lot of the folks reading this did. I don't Mm -hmm. know. Yeah, no, he he summed up pretty well, like, how I'm feeling about it, too. Definitely for the Halloween vibes, I, I really appreciate it for that, but I'm also just kind of in the same boat as him. Again, that fun-sized candy in a pillowcase. He has some questions. Why did the cunning man take Donnie Sweeney's body? He seemed to be doing okay beforehand, but maybe I missed something. That is a great question. It seemed like he was only able to gain a physical form after he killed Zack. Yeah. And then maybe because Zack was pulverized, he had to take Donnie as another form? I don't know. That's the other thing. Again, I don't know why. I feel like he was trying to search for a body. I feel like if it was the case of like, okay, he killed Zack, but maybe killed him too good. We should have gotten him, the cunning man, in Zack's body, but it like falling apart around him and maybe like just like, you know, then abandoning said corpse and then going after Donnie and using him instead. I thought we did kind of get that because like he was in his body and he was looking at Ruth and he was like, (gasps) like it was like a horrifying sight, if I remember. What I remember was that when Ruth finds Zack's corpse, the cunning man is almost like growing next to it. Like some horrible thing out of a pumpkin patch, even though there's no pumpkin there. Like he was like born of the earth and the, and Zack's blood and something. Okay. Because again, the way he's marching around, it's almost like walk, seeing a, a scarecrow on stilts wearing like a ragged cloak is the way that the, the cunning man is kind of described before he possesses Donnie. And then he's still got a similar appearance, but now it's Donnie Sweetie's mutilated corpse in the same guise. Is it just like a less complete version? I don't know. I, I think I'm, I'm with you both in that. Again, this is where my main point of contention is like, we get little hints, but we don't really know what the rules are. Mm-hmm. And I think that would have been nice to know. I think what you gotta do is like, you gotta have your like three rules. You, may, you maybe share like one and a half or two, but always keep that last rule hidden. That way you, like you have an idea of like how things work, but you really don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you were right that it just needed a touch more explanation or just a touch more showing. At least for me. Another thing that didn't really get touched on is in the end when Arthur does that thing where he drips blood out of his his hand into the fire and he cuts it off before, when he sees the memory of him being scooped up by the cunning man and then he immediately kicks it over and there's more to that memory and Julia realizes it but we never get to see more of that memory so we know that if blood doesn't lie then the cunning man really did jump out and grab him but does that mean the cunning man was trying to protect him when he was still alive or is this a memory from when the last time he manifested and tried to abduct another kid like we don't see the rest of that memory again these little hints of something and then it, the conclusion or any sort of thing is kind of snatched away from us. Who is Leonard smelling in Ruth and Zach's home? Spirits of dead to- children or were their kids trapped there? We don't know, but I'm glad we don't know. We know they do something with kids, but that's all that it's left at. It's enough to leave a, hor- a bad psychic impression because that's what Leonard is, is smelling. Mm-hmm. I think it's a combination because we know at least one, maybe even two kids died because Ruth goes further than Zack. That's all they ever say, that Ruth goes further than Zack. How easy would it have been for the characters to kill the witch's children once they found out they were evil? They seem to have super strength, but also be made out of rotting fruit. Yeah, there was a point where Chloe actually lifts up um, the Raggedy Ann. Uh, I'm blanking on her. Delilah. Delilah. And then yeets her against the tree. 
And you're like, damn! <laughs> like her, she was nothing. Yeah. I think I guess it would depend on if they got the jump on the kids. Yeah, they're like fast and prickly and deadly in that respect. But if they are essentially zombie children made out of rotten cider apples. <laughs> hard to say. It's kind of sad that like a lot of these things I'm saying hard to say. Yeah. Because normally we can just like kind of based on, you know, some of it, we can kind of make assumptions, but we can't really even do that here. I've said this before. I can kind of enjoy letting the mystery be. It's not enough to take away my enjoyment of the story, but it's enough to make me go, hmm, but it left me wanting still. Just a smidge more would have elevated this even more for me. That's just my opinion. I think the strongest part of this is the drama and the issues between the people. Right. Mm -hmm. I think the supernatural part could be a bit stronger. Probably. I don't want it to be overwhelming because no, again, but I feel like like the supernatural elements. I think were great, but I think they got in the way of that character drama that we wanted to see play out more. If there had been like some way where like the supernatural stuff had like forced the character drama plot to like continue, I don't know. I think there could have been a way to like interweave those elements to make it really work. Because right now I feel like all the supernatural stuff like interrupts that drama that we were invested in. And then that's why we feel so unsatisfied with it at the end. And final question. Would you take a glow stick in the Barbosa's Haunted Woods? Yes, because I'm a wimp. Hell no. Fucking love me a haunt. I will not take a glow stick, but I'll go with you. This is a weird thing because I can read a horror book like it's nobody's business. I can enjoy horror movies. I just can't get through a haunt less because of the atmosphere and more people scare me i just the scare actors and anyone trying to get in my face makes me very uncomfortable so Mm -hmm. and then we have uh questions and comments from bringer thank you bringer Loved the book, thought all the characters were well-developed, really thought it didn't need to go supernatural. If the book had stayed real, it maybe would have been better. Um, interesting. I can respect that opinion. I disagree because when I read a book about Halloween, I want the magic of Halloween to be involved in some way. That's what I like. They call it the Ray Bradbury fan in me, but some books like Something Wicked This Way Comes and The Halloween Tree are reasons I love that as a genre like the idea that this one night is inherently rippling with some kind of poorly understood ancient magic and that's what I love about stories about Halloween is usually they they delve into that uh Halloween Moon did that too but again I think this was more satisfying than Halloween Moon Mm -hmm. so I originally thought this was a kid's book and man the death of the kids (laughs) surprised me I surprised you thought this was a a kids book. I, I you didn't know, see it as a kids book. I thought it was a young adult novel at first, but then when I got through it in the, I want to say not too many chapters in, but I think at a certain point I'm like, oh no, this is not a young adult novel. Yeah. Vanessa's dad kicked ass, and I love that the plot details we got about him became relevant later. Okay, yeah, Vanessa's parents rule, both of them. Mm-hmm. Because even when they both of them realized what was going on, they're like, yeah, we just accept you for who you are. Or even then, they st- even if they don't, they still love their daughter enough to be like, fuck you stop saying shit about yeah. her kid. Mm-hmm. Fuck you, Mr. Koenig. <laughs> Do y'all think that the beans that uh, came picked this town because of all the nasty things going on? Like darkness being drawn to darkness? like Possibly. Maybe, but like the drama that these characters are experiencing happens everywhere. 
It's in every cul-de-sac, I promise you. Yeah. I feel like it was random. There probably are other kids, or probably millions of other kids, in terms of the witches' kids. And they're probably in a bunch of different neighborhoods. Because let's not forget that they actually admit where they came from. I think, if I recall, Leonard is like from Illinois or Iowa or something. Iowa, yeah. Yeah. From, from, the, from the 60s? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it only happens here because it's fucking Massachusetts. <laughs> Everything supernatural just happens in Massachusetts. Why the fuck not? Okay, that's my explanation. <laughs> Witchcraft? Yeah. It's, Lovecraft? Halloween craft? It's all crafty. From what I've heard from people who lived in Massachusetts or grew up in New England have said, yeah, there's always been a creepy vibe growing up. There's always something kind of... From Salem to the Bridgewater Triangle. I mean, come on. <laughs> How many more wives had Donnie slept with? Who knows? Probably a bunch of them. <laughs> roll a dice that many. Yeah, roll a d20. Donnie rolled a nat 20. <laughs> Ew. I know, it's gross. Y'all think Alice and Tony's marriage might survive? No. No. I highly doubt it. I feel like what Donnie did was like that nail in the coffin, and they would maybe stick together for, you know, a few years for um their daughter's sake mostly also because i think they would avoid speaking about donnie because it would just break back that that night and the brick de- of rick's death right mm-hmm. statistically when a kid dies that really tears apart most marriages so mm-hmm. i'm just say no i yeah. i'm going to assume that it'll probably happen after chloe goes to college oh for sure this is her final year and when she's gone it's just gonna be those two and they're They're not gonna want to be alone together yeah divorce is imminent they'll probably still be good parents to chloe but it's never gonna be the same that's what i can take away from this and that's what i'm glad about also so sad that ricky and billy never got to walk through the haunted trail or for him to confess his feelings you know what Mm -hmm. this book is all about unsatisfying conclusions for no closure for anybody anybody ever Closure is not a big thing, except Julia and uh, and Vanessa. I mean... Well, we even don't know that because it's 1984 and they're in high school. No, but at least they, they got to... We had this revelation about each other. That's yeah. the only takeaway. They had a moment, but let's not forget too, Steve's dad basically outed her. She's going to have to deal with a bunch of criticism and uh-huh. bullying in the mm-hmm. near future. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Which is why I'm glad they're going to college soon. Yeah. They can get out of that town. Do you think Vanessa would have ever forgiven Steve? That scene was so, so fucked up. Okay, I wanted to address something with that. Because, yeah, it was fucked up. And we will never know why, what prompted Steve to even say anything. Why that was. And we know he feels bad about it. We don't, but we never learned why. What the motivation was. What the reasons were. There's the only thing I can, I can say. This is the only thing I can think of. I'm glad that the story included a character like this who fucks up this badly out of naivete, assumingly naivete, because he's 16. 16 16-year-olds do stupid shit. (laughs) And they're all teenagers. Most of them are teenagers. And you know what? I can believe that Steve would do something that stupid, even if he quote-unquote meant well. And we'll never know. But I can at least accept from a realism perspective that he would do something that fucking stupid and then try to at least repent for it. I don't know. I thought about it, and I was trying to think about why, what would even prompt that. And I think he just doesn't, 
fucking get it. No, he doesn't. He doesn't realize the severity of it, Mm -hmm. of, like, what it means to Vanessa. Because there was that moment where Vanessa recognizes the, like, skeeviness of, you know, Steve's dad and, like, the way he looks at her and realizes, oh, man, Steve doesn't see that at all. Uh If anything, Steve probably looks up to his father, uh, which is why he felt comfortable enough to out his best friend to him. Mm-hmm. So for me, I think Vanessa lucked out that Steve died because that was going to just be a terrible falling apart in the future. For me as the reader, I'm mad. I wanted that conversation, even if it was just in that moment, Steve at least apologizes for it before he gets murdered. <laughs> the only redemption that comes in that is that Steve at least kind of recklessly threw himself into that situation to pr- try and protect Vanessa and Julia. Yeah, yeah. That is also a difficult thing. You have her best friend who added her, but also technically tried to save her life. Yeah. You know, if he never said anything to his dad, there would never have been this falling out. He never would have gone into the woods. to. They would have never gone into the woods to avoid him. He never would have gone into the woods after them. Therefore, Steve outing her to his asshole conservative dad led to his death. That's all the questions. Do we have any final thoughts? Uh, you know what? I'll ring the doorbell again in the future. But I'll wait till next Halloween. If I ever want to get that cozy feel, which is that right amount of Halloween coziness, I'll put it up there with stuff I will read again in the future. I may be the outlier there, but again, I think I I had a lot of takeaway from this book that I enjoyed. And again, my brain is kind of firing off about the what ifs for a lot of this. And while I wish there was a little more, I'll accept it for what I got. And what I got, I I liked. It's a lot of fun size candy, but it'll keep me going for a while. Yeah, I think I'm with you. I really enjoyed it. I think a little more could have been added or a little more details could have been added. But for the most part, it was an enjoyable ride, quite the roller coaster. I like the fact that I did get surprised by things, but also this is so steeped in Halloween. It is a great book to read during October. Mm -hmm. Like if you want to get into that mood, it really does set that mood for you. For me though, this is, I think this is a house that I would skip next year because I got other ways that like get me ready for Halloween and those are much more surefire for me than this was. That's fair. I mean, you can at least pass by and admire the decorations. Yeah. I always love some good, beautifully carved jack-o'-lanterns. Oh, yeah. I have a question, actually, to close this out. What was everyone's favorite Halloween costume among the cast? I don't remember them well enough. I thought Billy's was fucking awesome to go as, um... Oh, yeah. Storm. I was going to say Storm, too. (laughs) Who doesn't want to be Storm for Halloween? I'll be Storm for Halloween. Also, by the way, Billy's nickname is from Guillermo, which I had never heard that name before, and it's such a fucking awesome name. I've heard Guillermo. I've never heard Guillermo, so... I love it. That is a great name. I will give an extra shout-out to character that is basically a good egg, but we never get a perspective of, which is Owen O'Leary and his, like, Emmett Kelly sad clown costume, like hobo clown. I kind of oh, like yeah. that, too. I like that he's like your favorite friendly neighborhood teenage delinquent, and he's basically with a heart of gold. Because <laughs> even after, like, Steve, that whole falling out thing, he just looks at Steve and goes, well, you're going to go after her or what? Just wanted to give a little shout out to Owen O'Leary. <laughs> Our next book we're going to be reading is one that I've talked about quite a bit on this podcast, or I've brought up quite a bit, and I'm looking forward to finally talking about it. Uh, We will be reading A Head Full of Ghosts by Paul Tremblay. Ooh. And since I'm still going to be reading that in October, I think that's going to continue to set the mood. So that's awesome. 
If you like what you hear, check out the other podcasts on the Creative Horror Network at creativehorror.com or check out our podcasts on YouTube. Uh, just type up Creative Horror and you can find us. Uh, we got uh, quite a few things coming out for Halloween. Uh, we got a Midnight Marinara. You want to talk about that, David? That's right. If you didn't hear it elsewhere, this is the final episode of Midnight Marinara. We are ending the show after 10 years and I want to take a little hiatus before I move on to other projects with creative horror. I feel like this is the right time to do it, having done this, what started out as just a fluke 10 years ago. And uh, I've got an original script ready. I'm already recording with some of the cast. And I think it's going to be a good one, but I'll let you all be the judge of that. That'll be releasing uh, right around Halloween, probably October 30th. But sometimes, if I need a little time, it'll release on Halloween itself. But yeah, right in time for 10 years of Midnight Marinara. And I want to say, for anybody who has listened to that in the past, thank you. I appreciate the support. I wouldn't be here doing this with some of my favorite people on the planet if it weren't for, you know, some of the support I was given early on for that. So thank you. Happy Halloween, everybody. Um, have a good October, Friday the 13th. And make sure to carry your jack-o'-lanterns and leave the candles on. Yeah, we'll have glow sticks in case we, you know, get too scared. Because that banshee thing keeps getting triggered over and over again. It's starting to drive me crazy. <laughs> Good evening, intrepid listeners. This is the Pasta Shade, the host of Midnight Marinera, and this podcast is part of CreativeHorror.com, a network of podcasts and creators working together to build a constructive community of horror fans. For more content like this, visit us at CreativeHorror.com. <laughs>